This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. asked me today, are you, are you preaching today? Is that why you are wearing a shirt? Um, the answer to that question is yes, that is why I'm wearing a shirt. Usually I play bass guitar or I'm in the congregation and I usually don a t-shirt or a hoodie or something along that description. Most of the people who preach here, apart from the lady preachers, they tend to wear shirts. So I thought I'd get with the program and wear a shirt. But um, typically Howard would wear a check shirt. I thought I'd wear a nice black shirt. You're looking good, you're looking good Add a little bit of class to the proceedings. Um, <laughs> Paul is very kindly going to read Jonah 1 for me. Word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose on the ship, threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea and lightened the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. And they asked him, what should we do to, to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied. And it will calm down. I know that it is by it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew wilder, uh, more wild than before. Then they cried to the Lord, Oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking, this, uh, for taking this man's life. Do not hold accountable for killing an innocent for you. Oh Lord, uh, have done as you pleased. When they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. As the, uh, at this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they, oh, sorry, they greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Great. Thank you very much, 
Paul. Okay. Um, story Jonah is a fantastic story. It's an amazing story, and it's really in the last few years where I've discovered Jonah afresh as an adult. Okay. And um, there's more to his story than simply a man who runs away, a storm, a big fish, and then um, Jonah getting a second chance. There's more to it than that. And I, I've really found myself identifying with the man Jonah himself. Okay. But it has to be said that the Bible, the four chapters, which is um, Jonah in the Bible, doesn't paint Jonah in a great light. Okay. Um, and that, Actually, um, at the end of the story, okay, um, we see Jonah in a haze of self-pity, and he's actually quite angry, and he wishes that he was dead. Okay, so the Bible doesn't necessarily paint Jonah in a fantastic light, but I've already said that I, I quite identify with Jonah in many ways and at different points in my life as well. Um, just want to start with a story um, about my own life. So. I actually became a Christian when I was quite young. Um, when I was a young teenager, I was quite keen um, on church, and um, I, I was quite a keen Christian. I talked to my friends about Jesus. When I was 17, things were different. I'm going to talk about that later. Um, but when I went to university, I got involved in a church very similar to ours, okay? And whilst I was in my final year as a student in Bristol, um, the pastor of the church came to me and he asked me, um, Stan, what we want you to do is we want you to run some evangelism and to um, run an alpha course on the back of that evangelism. Um, so a course of students on the student campus. Okay, So you might think, well, that's a great opportunity for you, Stan, isn't it? That's a great ministry opportunity for you, um, a great opportunity for you to, to share about Jesus on campus, isn't it? I did not see it in that light at all, really. I was really re- reluctant. I remember saying to them, I'm, I'm just too busy. I don't really want to do it. Okay, them, in their wisdom, they actually said, um, they actually um, encouraged me strongly to do it, and so I did do it in the end. Um, but I was really reluctant. Okay, and for the two weeks that we were running sort of this outreach, I kept waking up in the morning, it was just like a sick kind of feeling in my stomach, a sick, nervous feeling. You know, sort of, when you've got a big test or a big... Um, a big something going on in your life, you kind of get that sick feeling in your son. I mean, it was important, but if I'm brutally honest with you, I think the reason why I had that sick feeling, because I was a little bit worried about what people on campus might think of me. You know, I was a little bit worried about, I didn't want the reputation of being one of those type of Christians, you know, the really keen Christian who goes out and talks to other people about Jesus. And push, I didn't want the reputation of someone who might push it down someone's neck. I was concerned about my reputation. I was concerned about what people thought about me. I was happy to remain the laid-back, cool guy, which I thought I was at the time. So I guess that's my, my, my first sort of ministry um, experience, okay, but perhaps not um, a glorious ministry experience. Okay, so let's have a look at Jonah. Okay, so close look at Jonah. Jonah was an Old Testament prophet. And he would have been sure, as an Old Testament prophet, he would have been sure about his calling um, as a prophet. And he would have had experience of hearing from God for himself, for his own life, and also for the people of Israel at the time. Fast forward to today, um, Jonah, uh, if he was amongst us, he would have been a born-again Christian. He would have been a Christian. Um, he may have been involved in serving the church in some way. So perhaps he may have preached. Maybe um, he prayed out prayers during the worship service, grabbed the microphone and said, I just feel God saying this about this person or this about us as a congregation. Maybe he served in the band or on the uh, notices or on the coffee. Maybe, um, maybe he run a small group or something. But he would have been involved. He would have been serving. That would have been Jonah. It's also safe to say that he would have been a mature believer. 
okay, what we call a mature believer. So he would have had plenty of years' um, experience walking, walking with God, okay, a mature believer. Okay, and it's also important to notice that um, Jonah prophesied in Israel at a time when Israel, um, who were the people of God at the time, were enjoying peace and prosperity. So the boundaries of Israel were expanding, and they were matching the boundaries of the times when David and Solomon ruled. Okay, so Jonah would have seen firsthand God do some amazing restorative work amongst Israel. So we've got Jonah, we've got a mature believer, someone serving in the church, okay, and he has seen God do some amazing things in his time. So it's to Jonah that God speaks, and God says this to him. God says, go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up against me wickedness has come up against me. Now, one of the major objections to Christianity is that if there is a God, why is there evil? Or why does he allow evil? Okay. And you just need to get out your mobile phone or your tablet and scroll through some news reports to see that there is evil going on in this world. Okay. Last, um, last two weeks I was in jury service and um, some of the things we had to deal with were, were actually quite evil. Some horrible things we had to deal with, okay, and that's going on on our doorstep in Cheltenham, okay. And um, only last week, um, a gentleman pulled out a gun on some holiday makers, um, killing over 30 Britons and other people, okay, um, supposedly in the name of God, okay. But um, just be assured that, you know, the wickedness that is going on in this world does come up against God. We sang a song today, didn't we? Yesterday, today, and forever. God stays the same. And like the wickedness of the Ninevites came up against God, so the wickedness of um, things going on in our day does come up against God. He's not indifferent. He doesn't not notice it. He does care about it. This is the God um, we're talking about today. Okay? Our story continues, and we see Jonah, as we have heard, and he doesn't go up to Nineveh as he uh, is meant to. Instead, he gets on a boat from Joppa, and he heads for Tarshish. And if you see this map behind me, okay, um, you can see Israel over here on the right-hand side. Uh, Joppa is the port where he would have um, caught the boat from. Nineveh is actually far more inland um, than you can see there. So Nineveh's inland, but if you go 180 degrees in completely the opposite direction, you come to Tarshish, okay, which looks like um, it's in a quite nice place to have a holiday, which um, some of us will be going next week. Okay, so, um, um, yeah, completely the opposite direction and as far away from Nineveh as he could. Okay. Um, so, just as Jonah heard from God and he had uh, the calling to go, to go to Nineveh, so us as a church, we also have our own calling. We also have our own Nineveh, okay? And it's Jesus' last words uh, to his disciples with the words to the church, okay? Um, If you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, this is Jesus' words to you in our present day as well. And the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended to heaven was this, okay? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Okay, and it's just important to notice that this isn't like an isolated scripture in our Bible. Okay, and the whole 
of Scripture, the whole weight of Scripture is really God's mission to redeem mankind and creation from the effects of sin and evil. Okay, the whole weight of Scripture, every story is about um, God's heart, God's passion to redeem people and bring them back to himself. That is God's passion. That's what we're dealing with. And as disciples of Jesus, we're um, called to be disciples and we're called also to share um, our story of Jesus and to invite other people to be disciples. Go and make disciples. That is our calling. In effect, that is our Nineveh. Okay. The story carries on. And Jonah gets on a ship heading for Tarshish rather than Nineveh, as God has called him. Then there is a big storm. Um, the story says that the wind, which was sent by God, threatened to break up a boat. So we're talking about a pretty, um, pretty awesome storm here, pretty dangerous storm. On the ship, there were sailors, and each cried out to their own God. Uh, in this sea, we, we see the sailors wouldn't have, been, um, wouldn't have been believers in the God of the Bible. They wouldn't have been believers in Yahweh, in um, Jonah's God. They would have had some other gods which they believed in. Okay? And so um, in, in our day, there'd be what we call in church uh, sort of non-believers. Um, but what they're doing is they're really um, just practicing the natural human reflex when you're in, in trouble, which I think is to pray. Okay? So I've got non-Christian friends, and they pray when they're in trouble. So they're just praying uh, to um, whoever they think they can pray to. So our story continues. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and he fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Okay. So there's really two things that Jonah has done here. So the first thing is that he has tried to flee from God. He's got a ship going in the complete opposite direction to where God has um, called him to go, and he's trying to flee the presence of God. And the second thing he has done is that he's gone below deck, and he has fallen asleep. Okay, we need to ask the question of Jonah. We ask the question of Jonah, why did he flee in the first place? He's got a few things which it might have been. So first of all, was it that God's heart to save everybody, not just the people in Israel, but God's heart to save everybody, no matter what religion, um, no matter what um, race they're from. God's heart to save everyone, okay? Even that brutal nation, which, that brutal um, city, which is Nineveh, was that just too much for Jonah to handle? Or was it that he knew that sparing the Assyrian capital, sparing um, the Ninevites, would leave Israel prone to a future attack? Or was it that... Um, that message which he had to preach to such a people, that was just too uncomfortable for him to do. Too scary for him to do. We could say all three, couldn't we? We could say all three in that respect, but what about us? What about us in our day and age? We've been called to be disciples of Jesus, but what, what do we do? What can cause us to go 180 degrees in the opposite direction? What can we do to run away from God? Okay. I remember one time in my life when I was about 17, Okay, um, I remember I, I became a Christian when I was quite young. Okay, when I was about 13, 14, I was quite a, um, what, uh, quite a keen Christian. I was really involved in church, and I'd, I'd tell people about Jesus. But when I was 17, things looked very different, indeed. Things looked very different. And I was leading a lifestyle which I wasn't, knew was not compatible with being a disciple of Jesus. Just not compatible. Um, so, for example... Um, you know, I'd, I'd wake up um, some mornings having spent the, the night on a friend's bathroom floor, having sort of chucked my, my guts up um, in the loo for a few hours. I was living that type of lifestyle. And me and my friends, we kind of thought it was cool. Um, there's a certain glamour to it. Um, 
And I had plans, actually, to go further and further into that lifestyle. Um, but I knew that I, I was still going to church at this time. And I knew that I couldn't do both at the same time. I knew that I couldn't live this lifestyle and also claim to be a follower of Jesus. Um, I just couldn't do that. Okay? But um, I, was holding on, I was holding on to this lifestyle. But God was very gracious to me. God was very good to me. And he, and he worked in my heart. And um, he changed my mind towards this lifestyle, and also towards um, himself. And I left that behind, and I continued to sort of follow Jesus and be his disciple. But there was a good period of time when I was holding on to the things I was doing. I was holding on to that sin. Okay? It was sin which I was doing, and I was holding on to that. There was something enticing about it, and I quite liked it. Now, sin is something which we don't normally talk about. As even in church, we don't necess- in conversations with each other, we don't necessarily use the word sin. Okay? But sin is, um, sin is destructive. It's a destructive thing, and being involved in the scene causes destruction. Um, so Donnie Griggs, who's a person who speaks um, amongst our sort of family of churches, um, I heard him speak um, about sin. And he says that we can sometimes think of sin as a bullet. Okay, so, for example, if I was to shoot Rob, okay, I, I shoot him with a bullet. And provided I'm a good shot, no one else will be harmed. They? Although I decide to take myself out, I will shoot myself and I, I, will, I will die, I will get hurt, I'll be harmed, but no one else will be um, harmed. However, okay, don't increase that sin is actually a bomb. It's actually a bomb. So if I throw a bomb at Rob, it will go off. I take... Rob out, but the rest of you around him, you'll be taken out as well. And if I want to blow myself up, okay, I'm going to pretty much take you all with me. All right. Destruction. Okay. So sin, he's saying sin is destructive. It's really, really destructive. So um, remember Paul's story from last week okay, about, um, was it your youth leaders? Okay, and really sad story about your youth leaders were having affairs with different people, and that youth group basically disappeared. I've got exactly the same story. Okay, um, sad story. Um, youth group of about thirty, um, and then the person sort of leading the youth group, he actually became an elder, and then he had an affair. Those thirty people in that youth group reduced to about five. One of those was me, and you know the lifestyle I was living at the time. Okay, but I've I've spoken to some people in that youth group since, and there's still confusion, there's still anger about what had gone on then. Still, it's destructive. Sin is destructive, okay? And I guess there's those obvious things, okay? Affairs where you see the devastation, but even the more subtle sins which we might get involved in, don't think it's just a bullet, just affecting you or just affecting the person you're shooting. It's a bomb. It's still a bomb. It's still a bomb. Um, I remember when I was um, in my other church um, in Bristol, um, I actually um, dated a girl, and it turned out that um, she was too timely, and bit upset about it, but I was quite bitter. I was, ho- it was quite bitter, and for a while I was holding on to that bitterness. And I remember reading in Hebrews 12, 5, it says this, it says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And when I was reading that, it's like the Holy Spirit kind of arrested me, and I just knew that I had to let go of that bitterness I was harboring in my heart. Yeah? But it's not just me. Um, or the girl who was uh, it was affecting that bitterness can grow, and that can cause other people to stumble as well. So um, what I'm saying is that if God is asking you to leave sin behind, leave the sin behind because it's not just you who is being affected, not just you who's being affected, but it's other people as well. So just to summarise that bit, 
Where is your ship heading? Are you heading towards your calling, towards your calling to be a disciple and make disciples of others? Or are you heading in the opposite direction, entertaining sin in your life? Or going headfirst into sin? Where are you heading? Okay, moving on. Um, it was the non-believing captain. Yeah, it was a non-believing captain who asked Jonah, how can you sleep? And it's an entirely appropriate question to ask, isn't it? Um, whilst everyone else was up on deck, they were bailing out water. They were praying out to their own gods. They were just doing something. Jonah had gone below deck and he was fast asleep. If I went below deck and I caught Jonah napping whilst it was going crazy um, up on deck, I'd be the same. I'd be like, Jonah, how can you do that? Get up there, pray, bail out some water, just get up there, just do anything. Okay? But also, if you were Jonah, you wouldn't want to be the one who's caught napping, would you? I'd be quite embarrassing. You wouldn't be the one caught napping. You wouldn't want someone to say to you, how are you sleeping? You wouldn't want to be that person, would you? Um, so it would be helpful if Jonah could ask the question himself. But Jonah didn't ask himself the question, why am I sleeping? Why didn't he ask that self, himself that question? Well, it's the obvious answer. It's because it was asleep. When you are asleep, you, you're not conscious. You're not aware, okay? You're not, you're not asking yourself the question, why am I asleep? You don't sleep through a thunderstorm and then wake up in the middle of it and say, why am I sleeping through this? You, you're just happy in your sleep, aren't you? You're happy in your slumber, and you don't want to be disturbed. You want to stay in your sleep, okay? Um, but remember, it was kind of the unbelieving captain who asked Jonah, why are you asleep, okay? And we have to ask ourselves the same in our context. As followers of Jesus, those of you who call yourselves followers of Jesus, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we asleep, okay? And I'd personally rather ask myself the question, am I asleep, rather than have one of my non-Christian mates ask me, am I asleep? Okay, so are we asleep? And to help us understand if we might be asleep, we, we can ask us to look at five points, which I came up with. So first point, um, if you're asleep, so perhaps you are unaware, or maybe you are unconcerned about the trouble going on around you, the, the trouble in your neighbourhood, the troubles in your family. Maybe you're unaware or you're unconcerned. If you're aware and you're concerned, we have a gift as Christians, and that is to pray. So perhaps prayerlessness, if you're not praying about things, maybe that's an indication that you are maybe unaware or maybe you have just fallen asleep. Um, next one is fitful. Okay, so maybe you're a bit like me. So all of a sudden, um, I had, like, this first story I referred to, all of a sudden I had, like, a ministry opportunity. Okay, it's like I woke up, I had this ministry opportunity, but I was actually quite fearful, wasn't I? I was really quite fearful, and it was like, um, it's like I'd woken up, I'd been sleeping basically, hadn't I? I'd been sleeping, and all of a sudden, um, I came to terms with the fear I actually had about what people think of me. Okay. So maybe you're fearful, I'd been sleeping, I'd been sleeping, I wasn't prepared for that opportunity, I wasn't prepared um, to share my faith at the time. Okay, next one. Um, complacent, lukewarm. We know the church has not got a great reputation in the UK. Uh, amongst the media, the church has not got a great reputation. Remember Howells preached on um, Nehemiah, his first one, and he said, does this concern you? Does this concern you? Do you get concerned about the state of the church in the UK? Does that cause you to weep? Does that cause you to pray? Maybe you're complacent about it. Maybe you're just fine with it. Perhaps you have fallen asleep. Um, maybe you're lukewarm in your own personal walk, your own personal faith. Maybe you, you're lukewarm. You used to be passionate, but now that's kind of dulled and you've come into like this equilibrium. But maybe you're okay with that. 
maybe you're fine. Maybe you're not too bothered that your walk is not as passionate as it used to be. Next one, please. Um, vulnerable. Okay. When you're asleep, you're most vulnerable, aren't you? You're most vulnerable to attack. You're most vulnerable to the attacks of the devil, and you're most vulnerable to sin. Okay. So if, you're, um, if old sins have come back, or maybe you're vulnerable to the, the attacks of the devil, maybe you have um, been sleeping and you're vulnerable. And the last one, um, which is my one as well, just too busy. Just too busy. Okay, I'm a teacher, got a busy life. Okay, and sometimes, you know, church activities, reaching out to my friends, it just gets in the way of my busy schedule. Too busy. Uh, again, I've been sleeping. Maybe you have as well. Okay, um, Jonah lived at a time when Israel was strong and it was prosperous. Okay, the prophet Amos, who followed Jonah, prophesied against his generation, against Jonah's generation, for its greedy and luxurious lifestyle. The king was powerful, and the nation's borders were extending. And people in Jonah's time they indulged. So Jonah's got quite a cushy life in Israel. Okay, and the temptation for Jonah uh, would have been just to settle. Would have been just to settle and just enjoy um, the pleasures were, that were at hand. Um, Cheltenham's a lovely town, isn't it? Okay. Who enjoys living in Cheltenham? A few of us. A few of us enjoy it. I'm quite glad God has got me here in Cheltenham. I'm quite glad God has got me here. It's a lovely town and I enjoy living in here and I'm looking forward to um, sort of um, having a family and bringing up family. But about a year ago, I think I posted this on um, Facebook, but um, Cheltenham... Um, Featured in the Telegraph, and it was actually top of the 20 places, the 20 best places to bring up a family. This is what they said. They said, excellent schooling, low crime rates, a thriving sports culture, a bustling town centre, all make Chelsea a natural place for families. It goes on to mention about Pittsfield Park, the Lido, and the, all the festivals which take place. And so, um, whilst Jonah experienced the temptation to settle down and enjoy, so we... Um, also experienced the same temptation as Jonah in Cheltenham. But into Jonah's comfortable lifestyle, God speaks to Jonah and he says, go to that great city. But in the same way God speaks to Jonah, Jesus' words speak to us in our comfy lives in Cheltenham. And he says, go and make disciples. And to be honest, this disturbs my comfort because I'm busy. It disturbs my comfort. So how about you? We ask the question, where is your ship heading? Are you heading towards your calling? heading towards being a disciple and making disciples all others, or are you going in the opposite direction? Or perhaps you're asleep. Perhaps you are below deck, you are off mission as a Christian, and you're a bit sleepy as a Christian, whilst the world is perishing around you. Okay, so move on to the second part. So our story continues, okay, and Jonah admits to the sailors that it is his fault that the storm has come upon them. He tells them to pick him up and throw him into the sea, and then the storm, storm will cease. Uh, the soldiers, um, they don't want to at first, and they try and row back, but they find that this is useless. Okay? And then they pray out to Jonah's God, so to our God, the God of the Bible, and they ask um, God to spare them if they throw Jonah over the sea. They throw Jonah over the sea, and the sea calms. And at this point, the pagan soldiers, okay, they actually become believers. Okay, so they realise that um, Jonah's God, the Hebrew God, the God of the Bible, is the true God. That, um, the God of the Bible is, um, like I say, he is, he is the true God, and they, they, they have a holy fear. 
So they start to believe in him. There's a holy fear about it. And they realize that he's the one, okay, that they need to be following. And they actually become believers. And that just shows sort of God's great heart for not just Israel, but everyone. But everyone, regardless of what religion, regardless of um, where they're from, God wants to save everybody. Okay. So Jonah is swallowed by a great fish. And in the great fish, he prays this prayer. And it's found in Jonah chapter 2. I don't have it behind me. Okay, so you're just going to have to listen to um, me as I speak it. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet, I look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. The seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah Jonah, onto dry land. What we see in the belly of the fish is we see the gospel falling. The news of the goodness and mercy of God. Okay, This gospel, this good news, which Jonah knows in his head, Okay, what we do is we see it falling, we see it falling from his head, we see it fall into his heart. And in that place in the fish, the gospel, the good news of the mercy of God starts to work afresh in Jonah's heart. He starts his prayer in distress. He ends his prayer with sacrifice and thanksgiving to God, claiming that salvation comes from the Lord. For Jonah, the penny has dropped. Okay? It's at this point that Jonah like the Ninevites that he deemed undeserving of this message, undeserving of the mercy of God, realised that he too was undeserving of the mercy of God. And it's at this point that he realised that the Ninevites that he despised, that he too was but a sinner, saved by the grace of God. So maybe you're here today and to some degree you know that you have walked away from God. That you have rejected Nineveh, the call of God to be a disciple and make disciples, and you have taken the boat heading for Tarshish, away from God. Or perhaps you're like me when I was 17 and you were living or planning on living um, a lifestyle which is incompatible with being a follower of Jesus. Or maybe for the first time you're here and you're, you're not actually a follower of Jesus. You never made that step to be a follower of Jesus. Okay? Um, mercy is on offer for you. Or maybe you are below deck and you're asleep. You're Christian, but you've, you've gone below deck and you've fallen asleep. You are off mission. Uh, remember Howard's prayer on the weekend away. He kept saying, wake us up, God, didn't he? Wake us up. That was a prayer on the weekend away. Perhaps you already know that you might be a bit of a sleepy Christian. Um, in any way, if you fall into any of those camps, okay, um, the remedy is the same. Okay? The remedy is the same. Um, it's the prayer of Jonah and the big fish, and it's three things. So the first thing, firstly, we need to look again. You need to stop and you need to look again at what God has done for you. Look again at, God has ha- at how God has pursued you in the past, how he is pursuing you now, what he has done in your life, first thing. 
Second thing is to not to cling to... Wor- I love that line, that prayer, that line in the prayer. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. I love that. Okay? Sometimes we just cling on to things, don't we? When I was 17, I was clinging on to that lifestyle, that sin, which I enjoyed. When I was, in my, when I was, I was clinging on to my comfort. I was clinging on to my reputation. I cling on to these things because I, I like them. I cling on to those. But whilst I'm clinging on to those things, what I'm really doing sometimes is I'm actually rejecting what God might want to do in my life. I'm rejecting the grace of God. Rejecting it. Um, when you let go of comfort, you get grace. When you let go of your reputation, you get grace. When you let go of your sin, there is grace. There's grace to get us to that point in the first place where we want to let go, the goodness of God. But as we move on in discipleship, as we move on and reach out to others, there's grace and there's more grace and there's more grace. And God wants to do things in our lives as we pursue him and his call. And thirdly, we want to look again Jonah looks again towards the Holy Temple. As New Testament believers, we look again to Jesus. Um, Hebrews says that um, Jesus, after he provided purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Okay? And we need to look again to Jesus in his glory. Okay? I know this gospel. I know this in my head. So I can talk to you. I've read books. I've done Bible studies. Okay? Uh, I can talk to you about the life Jesus lived. I can talk to you about his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and all that means for us as believers. I can talk to you about that. Uh, but sometimes, if I'm honest, when I look at my life, um, I mean, the gospel is meant to be something which is transforming, isn't it? It's meant to transform us. But sometimes when I look at my life, um, I'm not that excited by the gospel. I'm not always that excited. I hear it, I'm not always that excited by the gospel, and I should be. But it's particularly when I'm in a place of comfort. When my life is quite comfortable, the gospel doesn't necessarily interest me. Okay? My life is quite comfortable now. I've got a nice job, I've got a nice car, I've got a nice town to live in. I'm quite comfortable, and sometimes the gospel is not um, changing me like I know it should. It's not changing me like I know it should. Um, comfortable life in general, and I'm tempted to keep it the way. Sometimes I'd rather stay in and watch Netflix or go to the pub and keep the conversations quite safe rather than engage with my three and get involved with some authentic discipleship. And sometimes I'd rather just hang out with Christians where they know me and accept me rather than seek out new relationships with non-believers or even deeper relationships with the ones I already know. I'd rather just stay comfortable. I'm not necessarily moved by this gospel we talk about. Dr. Timothy Keller, he planted and leads a big thriving church in New York. He wrote an essay um, as part of the book, which I've got over here, Supremacy of Christ in a Postmodern World. Excellent book. It's about eight years old now, but still an excellent book. Okay. He says this. He says, if you think you really understand the gospel, you don't. But if you think you haven't even begun to understand the gospel, you do. See, the gospel is transformative. It's not just a head knowledge thing, it's not just a theory, not just a list of points. It is something which is live and it transformed you. Some of us, though, when we take a good look at our lives, we don't actually seem very transformed by it. What I do know is that we need the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? We need the work of the Holy Spirit to take this gospel and apply it afresh in our hearts. Um, but the Bible gives me great confidence that God is committed to my growth in the gospel. God was committed to Jonah. Yeah? God was committed to Jonah and working the gospel into Jonah's life. Um, Jonah ran away, but God pursued him. That storm was God's pursuit of Jonah. 
Yeah? Um, God provided a fish which swallowed Jonah. The fish wasn't God's judgment. The fish was God's salvation for Jonah. Okay? And uh, even throughout the book, I mean, Jonah lived to tell his tale. He told his tale warts and all. And that gives me great confidence that even after this book was written, after the book of Jonah was written, that God was still working in Jonah's life. Okay? Um, uh, the Bible gives me great confidence. Uh, Philippians, Paul writes this. St. Paul writes this in Philippians. He says, I thank God every time I remember you, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until completion, until the day of Jesus. I am confident. I am reassured that as we respond to the gospel, as we um, live as disciples and make disciples of each other and go out fully involving ourselves in this town, um, doing gospel works in this town, that the gospel will continue, continue to work in our lives, continue to transform us. The gospel is a matter of wonder. Okay, so Peter, uh, in the Bible, he says that even angels long to understand the gospel more fully. They long to look into it and understand it more fully. The gospel is amazing love. It's amazing grace. Looking at Jonah, I know I've given him a bit of a bad time, but Jonah is a hero of the Bible, really. He is a hero of the Bible. First of all, he, he was a prophet, so he heard from God, and he heard of God's love for the Ninevites. Okay? He heard that. Although he ran away, he did eventually, uh, on the boat, he owned up that it was his fault that there was a storm. Okay? And he voluntarily went overboard. He voluntarily got the sailors to throw him overboard. Okay? And he knew that by doing that, that the pagan soldiers would be saved. So he, in effect, he gave his life for those soldiers, not soldiers, um, sailors on the ship. Okay? Um, he also, at the second chance, he did go to Nineveh. And he preached to Nineveh. And there was a big revival in Nineveh. Many, you know, the whole sort of city, it says, came to know God. There's a big revival in Nineveh. So Jonah was a hero of the Bible. But the Bible, it points to a better hero, doesn't it? You know who that, you know who that hero is. Jesus, okay? So Jesus is the true and better Jonah. I'm just about to wrap up. So Jonah was voluntarily cast into sea in order to save the pagan sailors. But Jesus was voluntarily hung up on the cross in order to save all men. From our sin. Jonah was eventually obedient to the call of God. Jesus was always obedient to the call of God. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he pondered. He thought about his calling to go to the cross. And he sweated blood because it was so stressful. In his great love for us, he was obedient to death, even death on that cross. Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. So Jesus was three days and three nights in the grave. As Jonah was spat out onto dry land and given a second chance, so Jesus is raised to life so that we can have countless second chances and that we may share in his resurrection life and that we can be transformed. Jonah eventually left the comfort and blessings of Israel and went to Nineveh with the good news of God's mercy. So Jesus left the comfort of heaven he put on human flesh, he came and dwelt amongst us, and he preached the good news of the kingdom, and he demonstrated the good news of the kingdom of God. He lived a perfect life, but despite his perfect life, he went to the cross, not only experiencing the physical pain of the cross, but also he suffered the spiritual pain of having the world's sins placed upon his shoulders, his shoulders and the Father's face turned away from him. All this in his love he did for us, 
he experienced the ultimate discomfort that we may experience the ultimate comfort. Having a relationship with God, being reconciled to a holy God, of having all the blessings in Christ, of having our sins forgiven, of having our conscience cleansed, of having eternal life. This is our glorious gospel. This is our gracious gospel, and this is what we need to look again to. Um, I think as part of our response, uh, we're going to do what Jonah did when he was in the belly of the fish. Um, Jonah turned again. He turned again to what God had done for him. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.